Welcome to the podcast of Sozo Church. For more information about Sozo, please visit sozosmtx.com. You guys are kind or at the least obedient, so thank you. Hey, uh, I think we're actually not done with Mama Jo and Freddie. I was actually, sometimes I just, yeah, God was just rocking me in worship for you two. And I felt like that he said this to me. He said, actually, would you go ahead and stand? He said, he said that you are facing some battles that you have the call for, but you don't yet have the rank for. And so it's why some of the things that you've been doing, it feels like you're hitting resistance. And I felt like the Lord gave me the assignment to commission you as apostles to Burundi. And there's a a coming ordination that I'm excited about that we'll do in Burundi. This is not that, but I felt like this morning is actually supposed to be a commissioning for the both of you. And let me say this, as I use the word apostles, you're like, oh, well, I only thought there were 12 apostles. Well, there are about 25 in the New Testament. And what I'm not saying is that they have the responsibility to write scripture or anything along those lines. What I'm saying is, is that they have the mandate from heaven to bring the culture of heaven, of the, of the kingdom of God, into Burundi. The assignment isn't to play church. The assignment is to transform culture and see a whole nation and a whole region of Africa lifted and people launched. And I feel like God is just saying, hey, it's, it's time to commission them. You're already wired for it. You think like it. You breathe it. You eat it. It's, it's who you are. But I felt like this morning the Lord said it's time to commission you into that assignment. And it's actually because your assignment changed in the last couple of years from education to uh church government, I feel like there's actually just a a rank, essentially, that he is ordering for you so that you can have the authority that you need to break down the walls. Are you all with me? Does that resonate with you? Elders, is that? And so I just want to lay hands on you. In fact, if I can get our elders to... Thank you, Jesus. Yes, I do. So Jesus, we thank you for the call that you have to see a nation changed, the call to see your kingdom advance in love and in power in a way that transforms lives and families and cultures for generations to come, in a a way that orders the chaos, in a way that sees heaven come to earth, in a way that launches leaders to the nation and to the nations, that positions people in places of authority with the hearts of our Father in heaven. So we commission you as apostles, as apostolic leaders to your nation with all of the authority of heaven, filled with the very fire of God. So Lord, we thank you that you're giving them everything they need 
for the assignment ahead of them that they lack nothing? Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Come. And Lord, I thank you. The, the first moment I met Mama Jo, you said that she's a mother to the nation. So we just bless her heart, her leadership, the authority that she carries. I see you stitching together broken hearts. Thank you for the authority that she carries. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I love you guys big time. And it's a gift that God brought you our way. Amen. Amen. Our call as a church family is to launch people into the nations. Is to see culture transformed. Is to see Phenomenal things happen. And the truth is, what I've realized is there's a theme that God has for us, that if he brings you in, he's got incredible purpose for you. Like God just continues to bring people into our church family that, that it's like I just get excited because when I see people walk in, I'm like, oh, what's God about to do with their lives? And I just, I just want you to know that God has a phenomenal call on your life. And that you were called by him, created in the very beginning to carry his kingdom in the exact places that he's placed you. He may move you to the nations, but he's probably already got you where you're supposed to be, at least for this season and this assignment, and that he wants to see you infused with his love, with his power, that you would carry his kingdom in ways that would serve people and lead people and cause them to come alive, and that he's doing it in you. And it's hilarious to see what God does with people as he brings them our way. And, uh, and I'm a living example of that. I, I, in fact, the folks that joined us in the early days, I was like, look back and I think, what in the world were they doing I was, I had even a little bit of fuzzy on my head as a 31-year-old, and it's just been fun to see what God does in us. Whew. All right. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you're here and that you love to be with your kids. So we just welcome you here, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So you were intentionally created by God. He did not make any mistakes about you and your design. In fact, he created you with incredible purpose. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He has formed you. Ephesians 2, Paul says that you're, you're God's workmanship or his poetry. You're his divine 
design. And there are incredible ways that you and I represent who God is. In fact, in ways that nobody alive or in human history ever have. And there from the day you were born, in fact, from the moment you were conceived, there was all out war against you to mar and destroy the beauty, the power, the brilliance, the ways that you represent who God is. The enemy was so threatened by that that he's declared war on you. Do you feel it? He's like set himself against you. And what he's wanted, you see, in the very beginning, what the enemy, the devil, wanted, the adversary, he wanted to be like God. And what did God do? He said, no. And then he created humanity like God in his very image. And the reason that you exist is to represent the image, the glory of God. In a, in a way of cosmic irony, God then cursed the devil when he rebelled, sent him to earth to be among the ones that look like him and have what he has. And the enemy has been trying to steal, kill, and destroy from the very beginning because you have what he wants. And in God's divine plan, through the restoration of Jesus at the cross and his victory over death at the grave, he then ascended into heaven. We've been seated with him and the enemy's been put under our feet. So it's now our responsibility to rule and reign and see the image of God cover the whole earth. And that the enemy would be under our feet. Where's the enemy belong? Under your feet. And so he set his sights against you from day one. And here's the way it's worked so many times. It's a, it's a few different ways. One, we face incredible pain, whether by circumstance or intent, we've had all had harm done to us, yeah? But the real harm doesn't come in the harm that was done to you in action. As horrible and potentially life-altering as the things that we've experienced are, the real harm comes in the whisper that follows. It's the whisper that follows. It's, it's that lie that begins to speak out, out from circumstance into identity. And the enemy's scheme is to tell you that you are not what God created you to be. In fact, where God says there is something unusually brilliant about you that looks like me, 
the enemy begins to whisper, there is something particularly wrong with you. And we've all heard it. Yeah? We've heard those lies that are against our identity. For some of us, those lies were never extinguished with the power of truth. And it begins to twist our identity so that we begin to see ourselves outside of what God has created us for, who he has created us to be. So we were on sabbatical, we were driving, we did over 5,000 miles on the road. And most of those miles, I was stuck behind the wheel and Lauren was stuck chasing kids around the RV. And so I had quite a bit of time to process with God. And I heard a word that I knew, but I just, it wasn't a word that I probably have ever used. And the word was this, antinomianism. And the word antinomianism basically means lawlessness, anti and then nomos is the word law in the Greek, but the word in, in the Hebrew is the word, it's basically anti-Torah. Say Torah. Torah is the word that means law. So Moses received the Torah. So here's the problem with our use of the word Torah. We think of it as a confining law. But the word Torah can also be Used, a synonym for it would mean direction or the way. And you see, we live in a day that is antinomian. It means that there's no boundaries, no order, and no clear way that we should go. Do you feel that? There's no direction. There's no model. We haven't been imprinted with the things that we need to succeed in life. Another way to put it is there are too many options for how we were created to live. And we haven't had the Torah, the direction, the instruction in the way that we should go. And the result is a paralyzing anxiety and destructive perversion. You see, one of the primary sources for anxiety is having too many options. It's like, I don't know which one I should do or what I should be, and so now I'm paralyzed by anxiety because I don't know how I'm supposed to express what God has put in me, who he's created me to be. And I've been hearing these whispers my whole life that say, well, I'm not this, and I don't measure up, and I should be this, and I should be that. And then we have on top of that this ridiculous cultural narrative that begins to say the very thing that you have to offer is not good, it is wrong, and it is dangerous. Let me give you an example. It's particular to men in our day, but it has an effect and basically a, a near equal for, for women. And, and the phrase is this, toxic masculinity. And the inference is this, 
that all strength and all things masculine is a dangerous threat to the world around us. Have you sensed that? And the opposite that I've begun to hear is toxic femininity. And I think the inference there has to do with women being maybe too much or too controlling or whatever it is. But the lie is that who God has made you to be is somehow a liability. Let me say this. Both of those versions of toxic are a caricature, a facade of what real masculinity and real femininity look like. And so the threat to the world is not you being authentically who God created you to be. The threat to the world is that you would be a poser. You see, the masculinity that's actually toxic in our day is men who think that they have to be a certain way in order to be perceived as a certain somebody. But there's actually a way that God uniquely wired and designed you to be that looks like nobody else. There's not a mold that you're supposed to fit in. There's a you that God created and then he broke the mold. And what he's saying is you're supposed to be uniquely you and the unique version of you represents who I am to the world around us. You see, the the interesting thing is you study a little bit of psychology and a little bit of human development, which I am like a novice at both of those, but I've, I've learned a few things. And one is this, that men and women generally have different personality types from each other and in common, men with men and women with women. However, On both sides, male and female, there's about 10% of men that have some of the personality traits of women. They're more open and more sensitive. And the same would be true for women, that about 10% of women are more direct and and have a, a desire to put things in order and see things Uh, led with strength. And the problem is we don't know what to do with those outliers. And so we try to give them labels that actually bring a whole lot of confusion. You see, God created you a very certain way to represent who he is. And if you're a woman that has more masculine personality, it has nothing to do with you being a good woman or a bad woman. It's just the way that you express the very nature of God, and that's not wrong. And if you're a man who is wired with openness, creativity, and sensitivity, it doesn't mean that you're a woman or that you are confused in your gender identity and God's design for you. It's just that you carry a certain way that God is and you represent his heart in a certain way. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. 
But what happens is with all outliers, with all minority groups, they get put into a certain group, they get categorized and cursed. Well, you must be this or you must be that. When actually what God says when he created you is you're good. In fact, he said you're very good. You see, in all of creation, days one through five, God looks at creation, he says, that's good. On day six, he looks at humanity and he says, that's very good. And it was always the intent from the Father, God, that we would pass that blessing on to the next generations. And in blessing who God has designed you to be, that you would discover the way that you should be. Now, here's the, the truth about me as I look at the generations. There are some ways that I'm very like my dad. Lauren reminds me of that from time to time. But there are some ways that I'm very unlike my dad. I am like, if God starts moving on me, you just saw it, I'm prone to cry. I have a bit of sensitivity in me. When I hear somebody's pain, I probably will start to cry before them. That has nothing to do with my masculinity. It's actually a part of my strength, my superpower, is that sensitivity. Eli, in so many ways, he's my three-year-old son. In so many ways, not in so many ways, he's my three-year-old son. He's my three-year-old son. Where, where you put the comma matters. He is absolutely my son. He is my mini-me. He looks basically exactly like I did when I had hair in, on my head and not on my face. Um, in so many ways, we're alike. But in so many ways, we're different. And I bless who he is. I don't just bless the ways that we're like each other, but I bless the unique ways that he's different from me. Because God didn't create him to be the image of me. He created him to be the image of God. And so my job as a father is not to portray some sort of Western version of what masculinity looks like and try to narrow the boundaries so much that if he doesn't have the exact strengths that I have and present himself in the exact way that I do and carry himself in certain ways and enjoy certain things that somehow he is less of a man than me. But instead, it's the unique things that God has put, him, put in him that it's my responsibility to bless. And I, I bless it not simply with my words, but definitely with my words. But I also bless it with my actions and my curiosity and our partnership. I have not a lot of interest in Star Wars and Spider-Man. 
But man, we have lightsaber fights till the sun goes down. And, and there are unique things in him that reflect God that I'm supposed to call out as his father. And one of the travesties of our culture is this, that we've lost the rites of passage that bless men and women into maturity and say who you are is good and very good. And because of that, we've actually lost the pathway, the way, the Torah that we all need in order to be blessed into our uniquely God-given design and destiny. Go with me to Genesis 1. We'll see it there from the very beginning. Verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind, so that's man and woman, in our image. How many of you know it's not just men created in the image of God, it's men and women, and women uniquely display attributes of God that men don't. In our likeness, so they made them to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky over the livestock. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. This is interesting. He created them male and female. So that's actually part of your design. Now, there's been an attack against your design from the very beginning. And there are some things that you may wrestle with and you begin to question, oh, is this, is that, whatever. When we give up as followers of Jesus, I'm not talking to the world, I'm talking to you. As we give up as followers of Jesus, this given, it creates a lawlessness that brings anxiety and confusion that will result in destruction in your life. And God, and let me say this, I have incredible compassion on people that are wrestling with confusion. They're like, man, I don't understand this, and I feel that. But I, I don't want to give up in your life that God was intentional in the way that he put you together. He was incredibly thoughtful in his design for you. God blessed them, and he said, be fruitful and multiply. Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Now, here's the interesting thing. We'll see this in Genesis 2 in a second. God's design for humanity, for the world, was that family, man and woman, as equal co-laborers would carry his glory so that they could subdue the earth and fill it. Fill it what with his glory? It's God's intent that we would work together. And I think part of the assault on our day it's really toxic masculinity and hyper-femininity that are trying to separate men and women from each other and trying to bring chaos and confusion and create a war between genders instead of realizing there, there are unique ways that we express who God is and we really need each other. Like, we really need each other. We're not at war, and we're not, let me say this, we're not at war, we're also not fully the same, but as we stand before God, we stand before him as the same in our authority, in our value, in our purpose. So when Paul writes to the church in Galatians, in Galatians chapter three, there's no, no longer uh, 
Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. He wasn't doing away with God's design for humanity. What he was saying is that your standing before me is as equals. You see, part of the curse of the fall that the church has continued on is that men and women would be at odds with each other. And the church has misinterpreted some things to carry on the curse. We say Jesus broke the curse and then we try to make women less than men. And it's horribly destructive. And it's not God's design. Let me just say this to you, ladies in the church. You've probably experienced that in the church. And if you're about 35 and up, and you've been in church for more than three years, you've definitely experienced that. And it's not okay. And I am really sorry. You're not a second-class kingdom citizen. You have incredible value and incredible strength, and you are so needed in the church. And You carry God's glory in a unique and particular way. And it's not even simply as your husband's wife. Like Lauren and I, you see me up front more often, but who she is and what she carries is not as pastor's wife. It's as Pastor Lauren. And the strength that she offers and the unique and brilliant ways that she displays what God is like is a gift to the world. And it's not as a second-class citizen or some sort of lower appendage of who I am, but it's who she is that the world needs. So if we go on into Genesis 2, it says, but see in verse, uh, we'll pick up halfway through 20, it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep, and while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place uh, with flesh, and then the Lord God made woman from the rib, let's go back to that word in a second, he had taken out of man, and he had brought her to, and he brought her to the man, and then said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why, this is important, that is why man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. The word rib is the wrong translation. The word isn't rib. You've probably heard the joke. It's actually not a good one, but I'll share it with you. Since we're talking about it, it's more of a dad joke. God comes to Adam and says, hey, I want to create a helper for you. And Adam says, well, what will that cost? God says, probably an arm and a leg. Adam says, what can I get for a rib? (laughs) Horrible. Not okay. Don't even know why I told that. It is actually the very opposite of what I'm preaching this morning. (laughs) Should probably get some help with my notes that I, oh, I don't have any notes, sorry. Um, The word is actually side or a half. You see, God didn't take 
a piece of Adam, he took femininity and masculinity and separated them. And then he said this, I will separate them physically, but I will call them to be united spiritually in marriage. It's like men, in many ways, husbands, your feminine side is sitting right next to you. And there's actually grace that flows between spouses that's transformative. Like, I like antiques now. (laughs) I like architecture and design and all of these beautiful things that I never liked before when I just wanted to hunt and fish, right? Play basketball. No, there's this, it's way bigger than that. That's a a joke. I do like to hunt and fish though, and if you want to take me, I'll gladly go with you. And men, if you don't like to hunt and fish, you could, you're still, that's totally okay, honestly. I think somehow that's part of this thing that we've said, like, well, you've got to be this certain way. You're like, I'm not interested in that. Totally okay. But, but there's this grace that flows in the context of marriage that creates this bond that's transformative and the world needs. And as I look at the world, I I realize the enemy is doing everything he can to separate that. Everything he can. Because he wants to keep us from the blessing that flows from fathers blessing sons and daughters and mothers blessing sons and daughters so that they would know the way that they should go and how they should live and what it would look like. And the result is a, a crazy increase. It's not the only reason for anxiety in our day, but it is a major part of it. Is it like, I don't know who I should go and how I should be and what I should do and all of that. And there's something about the heart of God that says, hey, I've actually made a way for you. I've got a path and a design that you were created to walk in. And it's not about trying to be something or trying to do something or trying to present yourself to the world in a certain way. It's about discovering the path of Jesus and yoking yourself with him, walking with him, submitted to him. And that's one of the hardest things in our day. We all want to be our own boss, our own Lord but submitting to him and saying, God, I present all of me, the, the, the beautiful and strong and powerful parts and the broken and fractured parts that I reject and the confusion between I don't know which one is which, which is strong and powerful and which is broken and been manipulated. But I bring all of that to you. And I invite you to teach me and order me and put all of those things in their proper place in the ways that you've uniquely designed me. You see the attack of our day on femininity and masculinity, on gender identity and sexuality 
And all of those things are the consequence of a world crying out, who am I? What's my identity? And the truth is, is that your identity will only be found in the one that created you. It'll only be found in the one that wired you and uniquely put you together. And as you submit yourself to the author, the master designer, then he will cause you to come alive. But I'm convinced of this, that we have lost some of the ancient paths in our day. It's almost like the signposts that say, this is the way that you should go. And those signposts would say to you, you're very good. I'm pleased in the way that I made you, the ways that I've designed you. And so many of us have not been blessed by our fathers and mothers. And the lack of blessing has left a big question mark. It's like, am am I good? Do I have beauty and wisdom and strength to offer the world? Or is my identity actually a liability? So this morning... As we end our time together, I've asked our ministry team to come to the front and that they would, for whoever would like, and I would say if you haven't received this, it would be a good idea to, whoever would like just to receive a father's blessing and a mother's blessing. You know, Jesus did it in his day. In fact, God made quite the display for it. It was at his baptism and just after Jesus was baptized. It says that the heavens opened up, the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove. It said, this is my dearly beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The father was releasing his pleasure over the son in a way that would launch him into his ministry. What Jesus was doing was not What the father was doing with Jesus was not unique in his day. It was what every father did with every son. They would bring them into the town square and they would declare, this is my dearly loved son with whom I'm well pleased. I believe this, that this morning that God wants to mark you, just to release his pleasure on you. Now, the the truth is God's heart to bless you and the, the path that he's designed for you to walk is not meant to be walked alone and it will not be solved in one moment of blessing. The blessing is an initiation to walk on the path that God has designed for you. And that initiation or that path, the initiation is intended to create a path that you would walk on and that God would actually bring people, fathers and mothers, into your life that would bless you to walk in the ways that he's designed you. That you would have uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit, that you would be so full of him, that you've got clarity, but you would also have people in your life that would walk with you as you discover what it looks like to live out your calling. And those people would, would see not themselves in you, but the gold in you and begin to call out that very gold so that you could be who God's designed you to be. And you will not get there on your own. And your father and mother may have abdicated that responsibility, whether it's through passivity or through intentional decisions that they've made. But nonetheless, you need people walking with you. 
not in control, but in support. You may be here this morning. I just had this hunch as I was preparing this week that there's a, 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 a more than a one person that needs to surrender their life to Jesus. You need to say, hey, I'm, I wanna walk with Jesus. I need to give my life to him. I, I trust that he created me on purpose for purpose and that he redeemed me. He bought me back to himself by dying on the cross that my sin had brought destruction, but he's giving me life that he rose again. And his life is in me. And if that's a decision you want to make and a journey you want to start, this morning would be a great time to do that. Just to say, I'm, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm all in with him. I encourage you to do that. I'll invite our ministry team forward. They would love just to pray with you. It's, it's common that we see people healed in physical ways, emotional ways, spiritual ways. Donna, who's right here last Sunday, that community group was prayed for. Still sleeping well? Yeah, are you still sleeping well? Yes. Yeah, she had sciatic pain that God healed. It was disrupting her sleep that God healed. It's normal that God would, would want to touch you. If he really is the creator of the universe, powerful, that he would love to touch you and heal you. And so if you've got just an area of your life that needs healing, then they'd love to pray for you as well. Stand with me. Jesus, I thank you that you knit us together in our mother's wombs. Lord, that you created us for incredible purpose, that you put your very life in us, that you were intentional in the ways that you made us. And so Lord, I just bless every person here and I just declare your pleasure over them, that you see them and you say, this is good. This is very good. And Lord, I thank you for all of us that you're teaching us what it looks like to walk out who you've called us to be. And so Lord, we just invite the Holy Spirit to be our guide, our counselor, our leader. Thank you, Jesus.